Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including Lafayette and Lake Charles, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Social on Johnson Street in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birken Road Reports. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana. When we talk about the economy, do you know exactly what we're talking about? Most of us probably don't. We have some sort of a vague idea that things are going well or not so well. But beyond the stock exchange and oil prices, most of us are pretty ignorant about what the economy actually is. Now, today we're going to look at two different organizations that contribute to very different aspects of creating the local economy. Downtown Lafayette is the economic heart of Acadiana. And it's making a considerable effort to make itself not just the physical but also the cultural and social center of both the city of Lafayette and the region. Downtown Lafayette is not just a place, it's also the name of an organization that creates and promotes activities downtown, including Downtown Alive, Art Walk, and a slew of other events. Downtown Lafayette is an outgrowth of the Downtown Development Authority, and its director of marketing and events is Kate Durio. Kate, welcome out to lunch. Hi, thanks for having me. And as we've seen again, as a result of the catastrophic rain and floods in recent weeks, one of the hallmarks of life in Acadiana, including business life, is an awareness of the importance of giving back. Both during times of urgent need and in times of less urgency, one effective way of returning wealth to the community is by way of the Community Foundation of Acadiana. Since 2000, the foundation has received $160 million from over 6,000 local donors. It has distributed $80 million and currently has a further $80 million to invest in the local and regional community. The president and CEO of the Community Foundation of Acadiana is Raymond Hebert. Raymond, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, thanks for having me. Raymond, I'm gonna start with you. And let's actually start with current events. How is the foundation involved with the, the current recovery? Well, thank you. It's, uh it's been a crazy couple of weeks, okay. obviously. Everybody's affected, and uh, we are not, to be clear, we're not a disaster relief organization per se. However, we have generous donors that with whom we're connected and, and others uh, with whom we're not connected that contact us about sending us money because they, they entrust us with those dollars to make sure they get to the, they, they get to the right place. And so, as a result of it, we have been on uh, a super high, fast pace in our office recently, uh, fielding phone calls and questions, trying to accommodate folks in their specific charitable and philanthropic interest. Uh, we're getting calls from all over the place. I, I got a call this week from a gentleman in New York whose uh, young children wanted to set up a lemonade stand to benefit <laughs> folks in Louisiana affected by the flood. And they raised $450 and it's a, it's a great story. Yeah. So, so we're in that business now and we are trying to be efficient to be clear, but we are trying to be effective uh, and make sure those dollars get to where they belong. 
Now, um, Americans donate literally hundreds of billions of dollars a year to charity, and that's billions with a B. The majority of those donations are reported to be to religious institutions, meaning people give money to their church. In the case of the Community Foundation of Acadiana, what would make someone decide to donate to the foundation rather than their church or other religious institution? Great question, and and we uh, we never ever want folks to be to to try to make a decision sure. between us and what's important to them. In fact, we've turned away uh, contributions uh, where where folks should have should make them directly to a church or a school or a nonprofit organization. The business we're in is, uh, we're in the business of trying to increase and enhance philanthropy. And so what that means uh, exactly is, folks can come to us and set up funds that they name and they direct. And these funds could be anything from a scholarship fund to a fund to benefit a particular church or school, or the most popular option we have is something called a donor advised fund where folks determine on an ongoing basis how, where they're going to make grants. Oh. And what we've seen is, uh, historically speaking, the, the field is 100 years old. First Foundation was founded in Cleveland in 1914, uh, but this field didn't take off until the 80s. But what we're seeing statistically is that community foundations have actually helped to increase the number of dollars that folks uh, commit to charity and to philanthropy and, and ultimately increase the longevity of the benefit uh, beneficiary organization. So uh, through, let's say, a permanently endowed fund that will outlive any of us and spin off dollars to someone's favorite church or school yeah. or nonprofit so that uh, at someone's death, for instance, their philanthropy continues to, to live. Now, Kate, across America, we've seen the fortunes of downtowns change. Uh, originally, in most towns, downtown was mostly a commercial and retail center, and people would literally go to town for almost everything. And then downtown was abandoned in favor of the suburbs. Now, as a new generation rediscovers walkable communities and looks for affordable housing, developers are renovating old commercial buildings into condos and apartments. Uh, there's obviously only so much existing real estate, so presumably as downtown redevelops, should want something of a balance between commercial and residential. Is that balance part of the uh, economic conversation? There's a lot of things out of balance. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about this for a long time. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're really seeing uh, something that we haven't seen in history for a long, long time. And that is, like, up and up, well, not since the industrial re period, really, have we seen people flocking to cities. Um, and so, you know, you could credit that with whatever you want, but, you know, Really, it's about the car becoming king and, you know, marketing to the baby boomers in the 50s. Uh, right. Like, you know, car means freedom and you can live where you want. And you, and you have people coming back from war and buying their little house out in the suburbs and wanting this kind of, you know, sterile version of nature, right? Just right. like a little patch of grass, but being in nature. Um, and so you have a lot of kids that have grown up in my generation that... We're in a bubble, you know, we didn't know what it was like to be in the uncertain city. Of right. Like, you never know. A lot know of what different kinds of people. Right, and, and you never know what you're going to expect. And so you you're had helicopter moms that were monitoring your play dates and, you know, your after school activities. And it wasn't that you got to walk to the library or walk home from school and you never knew what you were going to encounter, good or bad. But, you know, it makes kind of a resilient, um, you know, generation that have been, have had that option that we haven't had. 
And so what do kids do? They rebel against what they know. <laughs> so, you know, none of, so a lot of our generation doesn't want to live in the suburbs. They like to live in cities. They'd like to even raise their kids in cities because they want to give their kids something that they didn't get to have, which is not a new concept. Um, and so <coughs> there are this, this huge flock of people moving back into the hearts of cities. And in Lafayette, Specifically, you know, I, I moved, I'm from Opelousas, I moved away to Portland, Oregon and moved back in 2010. And, you know, we don't offer that city living option in Lafayette. We do suburban very well. Right. Um, we even do apartment complexes, you know, all over town. Well, saying that, Kate, if I were to come back five years from now, how would downtown Lafayette look different? Well, I mean, hopefully, um, I mean, hopefully it looks great, but, you know, it's a slow thing and it's a lot of unsexy things that get us there. Um, so, like, for instance, one of our biggest initiatives with Downtown Development Authority right now is the most unsexy thing of all, which is parking. No one wants to talk about parking. <laughs> um, and it's so expensive. I mean, you're talking about $20,000 of parking space just in structured really? parking. Really? Right. And so, but it's, but it's also, you have to do those things. I mean, you have to address the parking if you want residential options. A little known secret is if you look around downtown, you see all these surface lots with cars in them and... But like Festival International is a good example of a good test of things. So when they put stages in surface parking lots, everyone loves that. It animates the street edge and yeah. there's always something. There's never like an empty block. And that's so great. It's so festive and so fun. But Festival International makes our case better than anyone because in order to do that, they have to give those people parking spaces. And so they rent the parking garage and it's yep. all, all of them and they're only for, park, for festival people. And so when we talk about rebuilding and redeveloping and building on surface lots, we have to talk about where the cars go that are currently there. And right now we don't have the place for them. And so we've been doing, an, I mean, I'm really nerding out about this recently because, um, <laughs> you know, we, we talk about fiber and how we're, you know, ready for business. We have that entrepreneurial spirit, but we're competing against cities like Chattanooga that call themselves Gig City. And I was there this summer and they have 13 parking garages and 2,000 residential units. Baton Rouge, Louisiana, <laughs> they built all of these parking structures with the Capital Improvement Program, and now they ha they are blowing up in hotels and in yeah. apartments. And so the hotel thing is another big issue because we don't provide a really great way for people to experience our culture, and that's money we're leaving on the table. Well, I, I wanted to ask Raymond something. Uh, you know, first of all, with the flooding and such, uh, the whole idea of philanthropy must be just kind of on the tip of everybody's tongue, right? I mean people must be wanting to donate somewhere, I guess. Sure. Yeah, yeah and, and, and you know, we live in a very, very generous area. People are, 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 are willing to do anything they can to help family, friend, neighbor, even stranger. And so I'm, I'm always humbled by how much folks want to give and, and, and want to do. But in addition to that, Raymond, you've got a great, your organization has a great reputation for uh, doing a lot with what you get. I think I saw statistics that, you know, 99% of all the money that comes into you goes out the door. Yeah, that's right. We have a uh, we have a fee. We assess a fee on all of the funds that we have. Now, in this case of, uh, of disaster um, relief and response, we're working our tail off, and 100% of that is going out the door. That's yeah, our yeah. contribution. Right. And I can tell you we've been working seven days a week and will continue in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, but that's our contribution, and we've been meeting 
spending long hours on this because we want to get it right. Our name and our reputation is right. on the line. We don't want any egg on our that's face. That's really all you have. So that's that reputation. That's yeah, it. that's really true. <clears throat> but we had a great meeting yesterday, for instance, with FEMA, some folks from FEMA. So in this case, uh, we don't want to duplicate what FEMA is already doing. FEMA steps up to the right. plate and will provide some immediate assistance, food, water, shelter. Well, we don't want to spend private dollars on those things that FEMA is going to is going to fund. Well, that's so what I wanted to break <coughs> up, Ram, is the idea that you've got this 80 million uh, there that you're now looking for projects. What will those projects look like? Well, currently, it depends on what the donors choose. We're very okay. donor-centric. We are very, we accommodate donors. Uh, our foundation has been in existence almost 16 years now. And by the way, just to update, uh, I'm, I'm happy to announce a new threshold. We've actually surpassed 170 million in cumulative gifts to the Whoa, foundation terrific. as of a couple of weeks ago. And um, but but it, having said all of that, the foundation does not have a lot of discretionary dollars. Right. They're mostly primarily donor-directed dollars. And donor-directed, <laughs> how donor-directed are they? In other words, uh, do they kind of give it to you with a, uh, in the realm of a category of where they'd like to see the money spent or very? Great question. Some yes and some no. It, uh, it, 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 some of them will come to us with great specificity. They want a scholarship fund, and they want it to benefit kids from a particular school or going to a particular school, so some have great specificity. However, most of our donors don't. They, they set up a fund that is actually very flexible, and they can determine over time where those dollars go. And so, for instance, uh, unfortunately, we had this tragic police shooting in Baton Rouge a few okay. weeks ago. Well, we set up a, 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 a fund called In the Line of Duty. <clears throat> And we had a couple of folks that had funds with us that obviously that was never on their radar when they set the fund up. But here is something that moves them and, and they're passionate yep. about and so they'll commit those dollars to it. Same thing with a disaster or, or anything else. So most of our donors, to answer your question, are, are positioned in a very flexible position to, to decide on an on on ongoing case. Well, Raven, I got to tell you, we you know obviously do some research, find out who you guys are before they come on the show. And, like so many of our guests, you're you're a musician, right? You're yeah. a, a best voice a around, I hear. Yes, <laughs> they, and you were the music teacher for Andre Misha, who does our our, um, That's our right. theme song. That's right. God, this is a my great claim, town. My claim to fame. Andre That's Misha. what I would do. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. And Kate, I've got to ask you. My wife's from Opelousas. Are you part of the Durio florists? Yes. We uh, very prolific. The Durios. Okay. <laughs> Buzz is. Yeah, Buzz is my uh, dad's first cousin. Okay. Great. So ah. yeah, actually, it's uh, quite fascinating. The Durio plants started with my great grandmother. She had a florist shop on Gurley Street at Lombard, in Opelousas. Had two sons. My grandfather being the oldest, he opened a nursery in 1950, and then his brother Jimmy opened up the florist shop. And oh of me. ten kids on my side of the family, four of them went into horticulture, including my dad, wow. my brother. No kidding. So you don't even have a flower in your hair or anything. <laughs> like I do I have a flower named after me, however. You do. <laughs> Every one of our cousins. The Kate. It's called Little Katie. Oh <laughs> it's, wow! It's a little red daily. My grandfather <laughs> was uh, such a man, but he. Um, he named a, a daily after every single one of his kids, their spouses, and his grandchildren, oh. some of his great-grandchildren. And you know, what you were saying about earlier, Kate, I, at the university when I teach students, I mean, and I hear when they're graduating, they, their idea of hell is living on a cul-de-sac and commuting to an office park. I mean, this is, where you are is exactly where they want to be. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we, we like to kind of poke, poke people a little bit because, you know, they think, well, I don't care that 
we don't have, I don't want to live in the city. I don't want to live downtown. And so then you say, well, you know, if this is works on the 50 and over crowd or even younger, but like, okay, well, where do your kids live? Where do your grandkids live? Yeah. They live in Austin. They live in New Orleans. They right. move to California. They live in Portland. And wouldn't you like them to be back home? Wouldn't yeah. you like to see your kids and grandkids? And now there's a great threat. Would you ever like to see your grandkids <laughs> yeah. again? There's right. uh, this is the other side of little flower cake here that we <laughs> yeah. don't really know about. But it's you know, it's it's diversifying your economy really. I mean we we I I've also recently discovered that back in the 80s when things were so bad and everyone left town and there was the We Be Leaving Lafayette right, right. Um, sticker campaign. Uh, when that happened, there were this great group of people that stayed behind. And in, you know, I just read this book that talked about all great things come out of either uh, despair or, you know, innovation, right? Truth, yep. And so you're either like super, super excited about something and so you just create something that hasn't been created before or you're just so desperate that it just calls for you to create that. And so back then, I mean, think of all the things that came out in the 80s in our darkest hour, Festival International, Downtown right. Alive, Downtown Development for that matter, Festival Acadienne, French Immersion, Codafil. That's right. All of these things that we're still reaping the benefits of today and yet, now we could argue we're in our second worst time, right. you know, in our economy. And so, you know, that's the challenge now is like, what are we going to do now? What is this generation going to provide for future generations? This is the part of the show we call Let Me Ask You This. And I, I know both of you have been on job interviews and, and you've been on the other side of the desk where you've had to hire people. Um, whether you're asking or answering job interview questions, it can be pretty nerve-wracking trying to figure out in a few brief minutes if you want to have a professional relationship with a person. Uh, I've got 20 questions here that human resources people, mostly in the tech sector, have dreamed up to find out more about a job applicant than you can get in a typical interview. And I'm going to ask you um, one question each. And um, Kate, I'm going to start with you. Give me a number one to 20. Eight. Eight. Eight is always a lucky number. Kate, what is your favorite Disney princess? Belle. Belle and why? Um, she was a book nerd like me. She had brown hair like <laughs> me. Um, and I just, I mean, she, the opening song of that movie where she's walking around the town with her nose stuck in a book and like hearing all the characters <laughs> in the village. And what appeals to Raymond is, thank God that question is off the <laughs> list now. There's something. Uh, hey, Raymond, let me ask, give me a number from one to 20. Uh, 15. All right, all right, 15. How would you design a spice rack for a blind person? Wow, spice rack for a blind person. I guess there'll be Braille in included, which is, yeah, which that's is good. good. Start. Or yeah, that's a good start. Scratch and sniff. <laughs> scratch oh, and sniff. Oh, yeah. Now, if you guys team up, I think you could do You got the marketing person here, right? Right, right. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> we all need a little spice in life, right? They, uh, right. If, if it was going to work anywhere, it However, work we're right. in South Louisiana, so you just put Tony's on everything. <laughs> oh, 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 that right? might be the that's best right. answer of all. The so, elixir yeah. from St. Landry Parish, that's it right. Really, it really is. I've, you know, I, the other thing I love about Louisiana, I've been here 33 years, is guys all can cook, which isn't you know, something you get around the guy. And every recipe a guy has when you go fishing always ends with just put Tony's hatchery That's on right. it. <laughs> Even if it starts out pretty elaborate, it ends <laughs> up that way. Yeah, you don't have to be have a sophisticated palate or like sophisticated knowledge of spices. You may not even need a spice rack. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, we call it seasonal, like, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. And Ray, there's a question I wanted to ask you earlier. Is, uh, would, uh, when you're explaining what you do to people, would you call yourself like a philanthropy bank? I was trying to come up with a term. Great question. Well, you know, I guess the best way to compare it is this. We live in a very entrepreneurial area. Sir People do. are not That's afraid right. to, to take some risk 
take a chance, roll up their sleeves, make something happen. They're not going to take no for an answer. And folks around here are, are willing to take some risk and make a few dollars. Well, in our world, uh, <clears throat> one could ask, is, is there even a need for the Community Foundation? You know, nonprofits have functioned well before our existence. But again, we're in the business of enhancing and increasing philanthropy. And so we like to do that in a very entrepreneurial way. And, and, and folks, th th this is true in many cases, several folks we've met with over the years <clears throat> couldn't immediately see a need for us. They couldn't immediately make a connection. But it's been so interesting that over the years, several of them have actually come back to us and knocked on our door and they kind of get it. They kind of get that, wait a minute, I can enhance what I'm already doing. Right. It's, not a, it's not a decision between the community foundation and that which is important to me. It's, it's actually a combination. I can, I can benefit that which is important to me immediately and maybe even in perpetuity via the community foundation. Um, and and that's, that's very easy. It's an easy discussion to have, but you'd be surprised at how many creative things that folks come to us with. It's just pretty remarkable and we just try to bend over backwards and make yeah. it happen. The, I mean, that's what's made the show work is that the town is just filled with entrepreneurs. I mean, it's been, uh, Kate, let me ask you, I know you probably haven't thought this out yet, but with, is the can flood, I, can I touch I'm on sorry, sure. I mean, I think that today in today's day and age, you know, this, I mean, I'll just keep referencing this book because I finished it this morning, but it's Citizenville, which was written by Gavin Newsom, who was the, he was the mayor of San Francisco, but he also now is, a, well, I don't know if he still is, but he's lieutenant governor of California. And he talks a lot about this. And he talks about like the net natives, the kids like me who grew up on the internet. It wasn't a fearful thing. And so we're all about, we're so idealistic. I mean, we, we're not scathed by like defeat or war, you know, wars that really affected us or whatever the case is. And so we still have this ideology that like we can work together to make a bigger thing than what we could do individually. And so like I see things like with the Community Foundation, like you could be a philanthropist of any size. So like if you don't have to have hundreds of thousands right. of dollars to make a difference, but collectively, if I give 20 bucks and my neighbors give 20 bucks, then suddenly we have some real money to work with. And then pair that with, say you do have some heavy hitters with, within CFA that say, wow, you had 500 people all step up to right. the plate and provide 100 bucks. Well, I'm going to match or whatever the case right. is. And so suddenly it becomes ownership that is unprecedented. And it's not just all the people with the big bucks doing it, but we all have a little piece of whatever we're trying to do. That's right. And so That's I think right. you could be a fun you could be a funding amplifier or a multiplier. Right. I mean to me that's what you are. Is are what you Is could that be. a better term it, for it, your parties it, it, now? Man, you, you could have just had her oh, interview, no, interview no. her for downtown NCFA. Now you're Raymond commercial. the fun moment. Maybe we just need to work together more, Raymond. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and we could. And you know, I think if my memory serves me right, I had a donor going back to the flexibility. Uh, I think a donor made a grant from his fund to help purchase the, uh, the Lafayette letters downtown. Oh. Uh, again, not on his radar when he set up the fund, but this was a project downtown that appealed to him and so sent some dollars to make it happen from and, his fund. And I'm glad yeah. you brought it up, because I mean, I love talking about it, but yeah. it was cost $16,000. And what we did is it's nine letters. And so, or eight, you know, without the Y. And so we went to public, we went to private donors who we knew would buy a letter for a thousand bucks. And so suddenly, after we got those eight backers at $1,000 a piece, then we had half of it already funded. 
And then we crowdfunded through CivicSide, which I know you and I share a mutual friend with Butcher Cell, who's that's his baby, and it's like brilliant. But we then could take $5 donations, $10 donations, $50 donations, and there's zero difference between the $1,000 backers right. and the $5 backers. That's right. And so now, like, we got some heat from when, you know, the letters have been painted and repainted and painted and repainted. And that was the goal, that was always the plan. And so when the rainbow letter showed up, we had people like fired up about that. And you know, I was like, this, what a testament to the ownership of this thing. That people are so protective of their welcome mat or like their whatever into Lafayette that they feel so compelled to have something to say about it. Yeah. Versus if it just appeared on somebody's wall or on Facebook or something, it wouldn't be, wouldn't have the same impact. But negative or good, I think that that ownership at any scale is yeah. what really is community building. Yeah, and, and she brought up a good point, if I could, earlier about, I think the foundation more or less democratizes philanthropy. That's a good So there are, there are some folks of significant means that have the capacity to create their own private family foundations but most of us can't. So the Community Foundation affords a platform for them to set up something that is comparable to it, but without the, the sizable resources. Absolutely. And Kate Raymond, we throw the term quality of life around in lots of conversations about cities and communities, but we don't often get to meet people whose job it is to affect and enhance our quality of life. For both of you, your daily work touches a lot of lives and influences the quality of life for hundreds of thousands of people in Lafayette and across Acadiana. Thank you for everything you're doing in this community, especially right now. And thank you both for taking the time to join me today and Out to Lunch. Thank Thanks you. This has us. been a pleasure. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Kate Durio, Director of Marketing and Events for Downtown Lafayette, and Raymond Hebert, President and CEO of the Community Foundation of Acadiana. You can find out more about Kate's downtown and Raymond's donations by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Matthew Ellefson is our researcher. Our theme song, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Raymond student Andre Michaud. <laughs> our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Social Southern Table and Bar in Lafayette. Social is open six days a week for lunch and dinner with brunch on Sundays. If you want to know what we look like, and come on, you're, you got to be a bit curious, uh, you can find out... You can find the photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Gwen Oakran. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's Acadiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Calise Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette offers a complimentary airport shuttle within a three-mile radius, reaching downtown shopping and local restaurants. Additional support comes from ABiz Magazine and AcadianaBusiness.com, the essential information source for business decision makers throughout the one Acadiana region. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting, for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S. 
providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including Lafayette and Lake Charles, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette.